Hello there, brothers and sisters. Welcome back to Esoteric Psy, the podcast and institution where we strengthen and increase the consciousness of our community through sharing a dialogue of esoteric wisdom, psychology, and spirituality in a practical way that you can apply in your everyday life. My name is Maddie Elizabeth, and I am a philosopher and a spiritual life coach. And we have with us here today, Dr. Alex Aldana, as well as a very special guest. Dr. Aldana, tell us a little bit about yourself and what we have in store for today's episode. Hey, my name is uh, Dr. Alex Aldana. Uh, I started out as a medical doctor. Uh, right now, I'm a Ayurvedic pr- practitioner, uh, phenomenologist in training, hypnotherapist, and uh, well, we have an incredible guest, um, like, like you said, uh, saying that this man is interesting is the understatement of the century. Um, Vladimir Engert is uh, the founder of Realized Medicine. He's the inventor of this branch of therapy. He's a teacher, a spiritual healer. He began um, around the age of well, early teens, uh, being able to see uh, things and, and uh, entities that normal people could not see. And as as his work as a psychic medium progressed, he, he started healing people. Um, but I don't really want to uh, speak too much about him. I would let, like to let him do this. And what we're talking about today is, uh, well, we're going to see where this takes us. Uh, Vladimir, how are you today, my friend? Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Can, you guys can hear me? Everything's clear? We yeah. can hear you perfectly fine, sir. Um, you, I, I get a beautiful, peaceful Big Brother vibe from you, sir. And uh, so, tell us a bit about how you went about um, in this creation of realized medicine and what it is. I started having um, what you would call phenomenal experiences probably at the age of 12, I was, um, I attended a military school. I went to military academy up in upstate New York. And um, at some point in my second year, uh, my mother's father died. And it was uh, early in the morning. One of the students came to wake me up to go to the academic building to take a call. And before he touched me, I turned around and I said, I, I know. He said, what do you know? I said, I know. I knew my grandfather had died. He came to me in the dream. So I went to the academic building, took a call, and I ended up going home and so on. And that was one of probably uh, one of 30 significant experiences where I encountered um master souls or disembodied souls uh not to i don't want to in any way insinuate that i subscribe to spiritualism because spiritualism is an understanding that spirit exists but if you understand that that the creative force sustains us then you don't need disembodied souls to help you but in the process of development and understanding i encountered some uh i started out with my grand grandfather my mother's mom my mother's father and then i ended up seeing a number of concrete master souls that gave me an understanding of how reality works and 
because of my practice and my abilities, I understood what's called, or what I call realized medicine, meaning became, started developing realized medicine and became realized myself. Um, that's that's incredible. Um, yeah, we have these master souls or these souls because we're all brothers and sisters in in the eyes of God, as far as I understand. But there are souls that are not in, incarnated in the human experience, or that are that have more understanding and are here to guide us, like like big brothers. You know, uh, that's what I understand. But tell us what is realized medicine? How does one go about becoming a realized healer or a realized practitioner? So look, uh, I've had a professional practice as a as a healer for twenty over twenty years. I started out as a as just a, a seer, a psychic medium, which was you know was nothing for me. I can do mediumship standing on my head, and I pride myself on the fact that I was extremely specific, and then I gave people facts, and they did, didn't waste their time. And then I realized more and more that it was complete. It gave people peace and understanding, and I gave them concrete proof. But then I came to understand that it's just a fragment of what's possible. And I started to develop further. Um, and then I saw another master soul that told me that I would change the way the medical community looks at healing. And in the past 20, over 20 years of practice, I've successfully treated and healed lung cancer, ovarian cancer, brain tumors, Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's, Crohn's, epilepsy. Uh, I've replaced vertebras where there were no vertebras and, and cartilage where there was no cartilage, by phone and in person. But that still doesn't mean anything. Becoming realized um, was really the most important, one of the most important tools uh, for being a concrete healer and not, um, you know, um, what they call a hope fiend. You know, someone comes to me, pays me a bunch of money to do something for them, and all I can do is align their chakras and they end up disappointed But because I didn't deliver. So um, be, becoming realized started as a, as a result of seeing a master soul in 2002. I went to the bathroom. I came on the way on the way back out of the bathroom. I saw an enormous energy. It wasn't a disembodied soul. I asked him who he was. He said, "I'm, I'm Yeshua." I said, "What does that mean? I don't, I don't subscribe to that kind of uh, understanding." He said, uh, "I said, have you ever been in the human experience? And how if how can I become more effective than what I do?" He said, I'm known as JC and um, anything you can imagine is real. And that was the first guideline. Um, he gave me something in my palm and I thought it was, you know, part of me always thinks I'm half delusional and schizophrenic. <laughs> and so I, uh, that day on Sunday, I got a call to treat an 11-month-old who had a condition called hemivertebra. He was leaning 37 degrees. He was born with half a vertebra, half of L5. And uh, when his parents, his mother and his grandmother brought him to me, 
he had a hump where muscles had gathered to compensate for the missing piece of vertebra. And I realized what Yoshua gave me was a piece of the missing vertebra. With my imagination, I literally installed a new vertebra. They went for an MRI after six treatments. It materialized. Quinn Francis is 18 years old today. He has a new vertebra. He's as old as my CEO. Uh, I have testimonials. Has, unfortunately, his mother died uh, of COVID, but um, he's still around. And that guideline started off what I call realized medicine today. So I started to become aware, not only for the sake of my practice, but um, you know, people that are that that insinuate they're spiritually growing, they're attached to phenomenon. And don't realize that learning tools, phenomenological tools of, of otherworldly nature, in other words, dream understanding, imagination, energy healing, mediumship, being able to see, that's all great, but that's for someone else. It doesn't make you grow. That doesn't mean that you're growing. You're just learning tricks so that you can assess other people. And so I started to use the things that I learned from the, the master souls or whatever healings I've had or whatever experiences I had, I started to understand that I have to curb my impulsive imagination. So my, because I grew up in certain areas and I came from the former Soviet Union, my, my first curbing of, of my behavior was, uh, you know, my imagination was I would walk in the room and look to see who I was going to fight and who I'd have to jam in the throat with something. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was, it was excited to grow up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. That's how everybody was. <laughs> and then I realized that you have to become aware of your imagination first. So if you want to be able to use that tool of being able to imagine something and bring it to life, you have to use it on yourself first, meaning curb your impulsive conspiratory imagination. Stop conspiring against reality. Stop imagining what ifs. Stop yourself from imagining being late to the airport, waiting for traffic, uh, that your spouse is conspiring against you, that she's going to say what she's going to say. And constantly, constantly, we conspire against ourselves. And then we want to use these magical tools. I'm a spiritual coach. I mean, okay, uh, you have to work on you first. So then the only way for me to use those tools in attending to others, I had to correct myself. And that's how I built realized medicine. It's becoming realized means that you understand that there's no law of attraction. Excuse my language. It's a crock of shit. It doesn't mean anything. There's only a law of creation. And the law of creation means the creative force fuels our souls and we fuel reality. So your belief creates your experience. So the, the, the movie that you understand to be true is fueled by the creative force and your, your intellect and your intention form your movie and your standing in it. So it's not law of attraction is passive. Law of creation is active. So you're constantly receiving and you are forming reality, and your reality is an expression, not a mirror, not a reflection. It's an expression of who you are. So the frogs and the ants and the uh, and the car 
accident and the, uh, the floods, everything is an expression of your belief system. Once you embrace that, then there's no illness. Then there's no accidents. There are only incidents. And then you become responsible for the constant unfoldment of your reality. And you can take responsibility and correct it as well. I love that strong Aryan energy that, that you bring to the table. <laughs> um, Maddie, do you have any questions? Because, you know, I could just ask questions all day, but I do. Uh, you, I'm sure you have some incredible questions. So I definitely do have a question that I think would really apply to the audience as well. Um, so for someone who is wanting to develop like their psychic, intuitive, imaginative faculties to create their own reality, the way you've just described how would you recommend they do so? Do you have any exercises, techniques, or rituals that people can apply in a practical way on a day-to-day -day basis to really just become that deliberate creator? So I believe that being becoming psychic or a medium or having intuitive gifts is completely meaningless, even though I use them to heal people. I wouldn't teach people how to become psychic or mediums. I would teach them how to refine themselves and suggest that they start seeing their reality as an expression of themselves. Meaning, if I encounter someone who's having spousal issues and the person starts to complain to me about what they're going through, I have to ask myself, how did this reality form itself before me so I can hear my own advice? So showing people how to achieve phenomenal results in what they see is a complete waste of time. Because if you don't attend to refinement, then you're looking you're living, uh, uh, let's just imagine we're living in the physical material world, trying to use tools, of, uh, high frequency tools of a conscious reality. You can only use those tools when you're vibrationally up here. So you're looking at the rea at reality from underneath a table wanting to be psychic. What's the point? What's that going to do for you? Nothing. It doesn't do anything. It didn't refine me. I wasn't absolved from the human experience just because I was psychic and I was a medium. I struggled. I worried. So those are things you want to attend to. So if I were teaching someone, I wouldn't teach them how to be psychic or a medium. I would teach them how to refine themselves. And the refinement process happens through accepting responsibility that everything around you is not an, a mirror. It's an expression meaning I'm responsible for my belief system and my belief is creating my experience. So if my experience is a constant challenge, then it's because I love challenges and I need obstacles to overcome. So I'm constantly creating them so I can look good because I solve them. You understand? So I change my belief system and what happens as a result, the light of my soul as a result of refining my understanding and my habits and my belief system, the light of my soul gets broader. I make intellectual and emotional space for the flow of energy. My soul gets broader. And then I literally become psychic and, and, and the medium. Because as you grow your soul, just like a, a muscle, right? You want to work out, you go to the gym. So this is the biggest waste of time that humanity is attached to phenomenon 
It's, it's spiritual materialism, wanting to be psychic, wanting to see. But if you're unresolved, what are you going to see? How are you going to help anyone? How can you help someone if you're consumed by your own insanity? What are you going to tell them? You're going to infuse your observations, your unrealized observations into your advice. So you're not helping anyone. You're doing it with the service. You with me? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I have a, a couple of, uh, of questions. Uh, f- first of all, is uh, you, there, you said there's, there is both an active and a passive aspect to it, but they're both involved in beliefs, right? So when you change your belief system and you're consciously being active in changing something in your life, but you also have to receive it, right? So you, you did say uh, there is no love attraction, but at the same time, uh, there is a receiving, right? Which would be equivalent to that. So, so the receiving process happens as a result of manifestation it's not as if people uh uh, you're pulling them to you and you're this wonderful person you're making changes and they actually form themselves because they're all souls to accommodate their their own personal process and yours as well certainly you have to be open to receive right so you manifested for me you shared something with me if i'm completely delusional and self-absorbed i can say you know what alex uh, do this and that and the other thing to uh, to attend to your issue that we discussed. But if I'm a, an aware person and I understand in the process of creation, I have to ask myself, am I also going through the same thing? Why did this scenario, how did this scenario pop up in front of me? Because it's speaking to me. I need to hear myself. So Alex forms himself as a soul so that I can see myself and verbalize what it is that I need to hear in my relationship. Maybe not to the same extent, but I'm getting to hear myself and that's how I become aware. So then the creative force is constantly speaking to us in everything, in everything, through everything. There are no accidents. There is no mirror. It's a constant form. It forms itself to accommodate us. So I hope that answers your question. My mind is being blown right now. <laughs> this is my language. <laughs> uh, that, that, that is an um, incredible example because like. Uh, I talked to you about, you know, uh, I was, my wife and I, we separated and before the separation, I, I, um, I started in, I, cause I do couples counseling as well. And I started seeing a lot of couples that, uh, that would end up like, you know, you know, breaking up or, or deciding that, they, that didn't work out. Uh, and then when, when I separated, like this more happened, like more friends and this, this topic kept coming up. So it does make sense. Because uh, sometimes when you are going through something specific, other people will come uh, with that specific topic. Now, does that explain why when um, someone can behave di- so much differently with you than with someone else? And you, you talk to a friend of yours and like, oh, what, what's up with, uh, I don't know, Peter? Oh, yeah, Peter's a horrible dude. I, he, 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 he messed with me and he did this. And when my experience of that same friend we have in common is completely different is complete like he's an awesome person and, and and whatever so is that what you're saying is that my belief system is actually changing um peter because i'm not well, for example just to give a name or, or or how does that work 
So I'll make some references to what people are t- terribly afraid of, but I, I really don't care. I'm, not, I'm, uh, I'm an outlaw when it comes to, when it comes to this stuff. So um, there's a commandment that says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy brother. Why? For that reason, what you just asked me about. Because when I hold someone in the high regard, and I nurture that experience, then they give me proof of what I believe to be true. If I encounter Alex and Alex says, hey, you know, so-and-so, he's like this and like that. Alex already set me up for failure because he's dragging his past experience with that person into my future and setting me up to have a perception of that person in a certain way. So then I'm already set up to, I'm expecting a problem. So if I'm expecting a problem, well, the law of creation means my perception is fueled by energy from the creative force. My intellect right away uh, um, goes into protection mode, uh, in in self-preservation mode. And I say, okay, well, I don't want that to happen to me. So now I've dragged Alex's past experience into my future and I encounter that person and I have a perception based on a judgment. But I didn't have that experience with that person. I don't have to perceive them that way. That's what being realized means. I don't have to have Alex's experience. His experience doesn't have to become mine. So then Alex's experience and my experience are completely different. He can say whatever he wants. He received that person for a purpose for where he was at that time. And when that person encounters me, as long as I don't bring Alex's story with me, then I have a completely clear experience and I have an an opportunity to perceive you in a completely different way. So then my perception then gives me proof of what I believe to be true. If I may, if if we have the time, I'll give you an example of how I learned that through a phenomenal experience, if I may. It's okay. So um, in 2003, my work was discovered. Alex, is that okay? I don't want to take up time and talk too much. No, yeah, it, it's perfectly fine. I was giving you the thumbs up on, on the video, but I don't think you saw me. Go for it. <laughs> no, the video was on your partner. I saw her. I didn't see oh, okay. Yeah, well, she's much. She's a much better sight to look at than me. So yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Alex, I'm going to have to agree with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway... So um, let's see. So I was, um, because of my ex-wife, she was an editor-in-chief of Departures Magazine, which is a travel mag uh, in her early 30s. And she uh, took us on a press trip to Taos, New Mexico. And my work was discovered by a Virginia billionaire who built an environmentally conscious resort out in Taos, New Mexico. And he basically brought us out there, hosted our wedding, and gave us a life for four years. He supported my work. I lived on the on and off the resort property. And um, in one of my treatments, I encountered another master soul. I asked, it was a it was a female energy. And I asked her, uh, one of my questions was, How did you? I asked, what, what, what is your name? She said, My name is Miriam. I said, well, how would people know you? She said, I'm known as Mary. I said, well, uh, I don't really subscribe to the story. I'm, uh, 
I'm Jewish. She said, well, so was I. <laughs> she said, <laughs> so I said, well, um, how, how did you become who you are? This is what gave me a huge understanding. She said, people made me who I am because of everyone's high regard. And because of so much praise, they changed my vibration. And I give them proof of what they believe to be true. She became a master soul because so many people praise her name. That's a confirmation to the fact that this commandment that says, thou shalt not judge, number one, judgment is perception. And two, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy brother, meaning holding someone in the highest regard gives you proof of what you believe to be true. I asked her, how illness forms. She said that all illness starts at the heart because the heart is the physical form for the function of love and feelings. Because form, as you're learning, follows function, right? So then the heart is the epicenter of feelings and emotions, and it's constantly receiving energy for the sake of the soul because as we resolve our feelings or bad feelings or otherwise, we make space when we take responsibility for consistently co-creating our circumstances, we're literally taking responsibility and making space for the flow to fuel our souls. So as I resolve, I'm, I'm not resolving by saying, oh, Alex is a bad guy. No, I'm resolving by saying, you know what? Alex appeared to remind me not to be complacent in my relationship. Alex appeared to remind me not to be um, deluded and, and, um, push the responsibility on my spouse or my partner. So then when I take responsibility, I literally make space for energy and its flow sustains me. So then perception comes as a result. Our, our judgment comes as a result of our decision to perceive. If I, I can perceive you and all of your shortcomings, but I choose to see the best of you. Therefore, I'm not delusional. I know exactly who you are. So I don't need to separate myself or put up my guard because I'm not worried about getting hurt. There's nothing you can do to me. So I'm open to the idea of bringing out the best of you. And so you start to confirm to me what I believe to be true. Make sense? Did I answer your question? You definitely did. Uh, Maddie, do you have a follow-up? Because I could just ask questions all day, but I definitely want to give you a chance because you had some awesome questions as well. Well, go ahead and ask your questions, but I just want to piggyback off of that because this is something that I am currently attempting to incorporate into my day-to-day. And I feel like once you adopt that mentality, you open yourself up to receive so many lessons. And that's literally what we come to earth for is to just be a student and absorb everything that the universe and people and us have to teach ourselves. And it's just so empowering and liberating and just wanted to add that, but go ahead and ask your question because I'm loving this. If, if I may, I, I'm, I'm not imposing on your practice and it's not intended to correct you. But if you conceptually express something it has to be in alignment with conscious understanding. So we don't come here to learn. We literally come here to correct. The soul enters the human experience for the sake of correction and refinement. So then what happens is you encounter 
obstacles based on the accumulated understanding of your soul, past, present, or future. And when you encounter, as long as you take responsibility for co-creating it, you can move forward. So incorporating that in your life means uh, seeing everything as an expression and giving yourself an opportunity to say, you know what, Vlad is an expression of me, and so is Alex. Which and is so, beautiful. So then I want what I do, if I may, is I write down one positive quality of Vlad and one negative quality. And one positive quality of Alex and one negative quality. And I say to myself, look, I, I'm, I'm also somewhat delusional. I'm also a kind person. So I want to look at my reality and see where am I self-absorbed? Where am I uh, uh, self-aggrandizing? Where am I not being real with myself? And diligently, this is spiritual work. Spirituality doesn't mean because I believe there's existence of spirit, I'm spiritual. Spirituality means diligence and constant self-assessment, evaluation. So I realize, you no, know, I have issues like Alex. I'm going to take a look at, at my situation and my relationships, whether intimate or not, I'm going to look at myself and make corrections I'm going to give myself 21 days to focus on one correction. That is an incredible exercise. Thank you so much for sharing it because we're all about being practical here. You know, Maddie and I, we, we're both, we both have very strong things in Virgo. So being practical is <laughs> kind of our thing. Um, that, what you were mentioning uh, reminds me a lot in, uh, about the Pygmalion effect which for our viewers that don't know this is essentially how you treat people is how they end up behaving. So if you view someone like, oh, poor person is a victim, they, they begin to behave that way and, and they, they interact with you in that way. It's, it's an effect. It's a psychological effect that happens. And uh, also like in, uh, I, I taught a course in miracles for a while and um, uh, Helen, well, she writes, so it's not her, it's, she's channeling. Uh, what she calls uh, the the Holy Spirit or Jesus interchangeably throughout the entire uh, book. Uh, sh she mentions that the entire like at, at some point in our existence, we're just going. It's just going to be God again. Like it's everything is the source, whatever name you give God, and there is kind of this world of illusions, which is this all this kind of physical world, and in this journey through the world of illusions, which is the illusion that we can be separated from God, like in this physical world, we have, we're interacting with this illusion that we're separated from God, which is completely false. But in this remembering, because it really is a remembering at the end of the day, you know, you said correction, but I think you could easily replace correction for remembering that there is only God. Um, and I know you, you, you advocate um, something along these lines very strongly. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not. And a follow-up question to that would be, uh, what happens after we die? Because I can't ask a medium. I can't interview any medium and ask, not ask them that. <laughs> so um, go ahead. Look, uh, I've encountered a lot of concepts about what happens in my practice as a medium. I pride myself on the fact that I'm a very concrete medium. I don't make stories because 
you know, I've, I've encountered mediums and you come to a session, oh, um, the spirit is sending you love and they're engaging you and caressing you. Like, what? Shut up. Uh, there's no uh, souls. Disembodied souls are very concrete. They say their name, how they died, what they know about you. And within the first 10 minutes, if they don't tell me five concrete things that only you relate to, I don't continue the session. I don't think it's fair to the person that's sitting in front of me. And it's a complete waste of my time. So uh, what happens is the soul moves three feet above eye level into a spiritual realm. It no longer has a body. It's not attached. It's not missing. It's not longing. It's no longer uh, 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 in judgment. It doesn't possess all of the human attributes. Um, you know, a lot of people come and say, well, does my dad want me to go back to school? Your dad doesn't want anything anymore. Everything he wanted, he did while he was here. Now he's gone. That's it. It's over. So uh, I, it's kind of slightly abrupt. But uh, what happens is, it's a soul now. It does have a very clear understanding of its last human experience. And so it'll give me very clear um, signs. I'm uh, talk about my face, tell her about one leg being shorter than the other, uh, tell her we went to California together. Constant confirmations because the person sitting in front of me uh, is in constant doubt because it's a very hard phenomenon to grasp. And it's, it's, it's kind of slightly mind-blowing. So um, what happens is, is the soul goes through a spiritual experience until it decides to uh, re-enter the human experience if it needs to. Okay. There is um, this concept in most spiritual traditions, though, of the difference between soul and spirit, which took me many years kind of to understand and grasp uh, as far as i understand you know like um spirit is this, like divine line like so if, if god was like an octopus <laughs> so spirit would be like one of his tentacles that, that gives us life and animates us and, and whatever you know um and soul is like that specific tentacles experience and memory through incarnations through whatever happens you know i don't know if i'm correct or if you agree with this or if there's more you can add from, from Judaism, what you're saying. It's a Kabbalistic principle. Oh, okay. um, so it is kind of accurate, of spirit and soul, like the difference between? Yeah, of course. Beautiful, beautiful. Maddie, or anything else you want to add? No. If not Maddie, I'm sure has many. <laughs> well, Alex and I the other day were talking about this because after I listened to the first interview with you and Dr. Peter Resnick, you mentioned that um, your soul vibrates at a very high level. And that's why you're able to have access to this other realm and, and use your healing methodologies. Didn't absolve me from falling on my face, I promise. Right. <laughs> uh, but our question was, well, I have heard accounts and stories from people who, I mean, I guess this is me making a judgment, but I am not quite sure that their soul is at a super, super high vibration. Yet they have had encounters of such what explains this so there there are intermittent encounters there are intermittent phenomenon and then there's consistent being in that world uh and i discovered this you know dr peter resnick who practically raised me he was a huge influence in my life 
he would say to me, do you think everyone can do what you do? And I'd say, of course. It's, I don't have an exclusive. There's no certificate on my wall that says I have an exclusive to talking to dead people or healing people from something. It doesn't, it's, it, speaking to deceased people and not invoking them is not an achievement. It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. So then I spent a few years kind of working on myself and understanding that, no, not everyone can do it because I came in into the human experience at a certain vibratory state. So let's say I'm a 180 degree light bulb, but that doesn't mean that I was absolved from the human experience. It means I had to catch up to the light of my soul. Very often that's how people become schizophrenic because they come in. In fact, autistic children come into the human experience with a very high vibrational way of being their perception, everything disturbs them. So learning balance and learning how to be in the human experience and not reacting is what brings them to understanding and calms them. Well, that's the difference. Um, I could have chosen not to develop, but I really, it's almost as if I didn't have a choice. I, I fumbled for years, you understand? So I had to encounter physical material obstacles that finally exhausted me. I, when I lecture, I always say, you know, I'm really not that smart. I got exhausted by my impulsive behavior, and that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> I swear, you know, I tried just about everything. I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, and I encountered exhausting obstacles that would just take the, the life out of me. And I'd say, okay, I got the point. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'd realign myself back to this. And then this would just grow and flourish and give me new information, new understanding. And that's the difference. I mean, I, I hope I answer. Please remind me if I, if I go on a tangent, go off on a tangent and don't answer your question. I have that tendency. Maddie, did he answer your question? Oh, or? yes. Sorry. Oh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I, everybody, sorry, Alex. No. Uh, uh, I think that many people were all souls going through a human experience. So everyone can say they had an experience. Some of us are more practical. So we deny the, we, we justify and deny our experience and we continue our lives not the center of our focus for me it became this it's always been the center of my focus it's it's my life it's who i am so it's not as if you know all of a sudden i'm going to become a watchmaker no it's just not a reality for me it's a part of your divine purpose who i am i don't there's no there's no other way i don't i can't imagine i mean i promise you i've tried everything and i'm always back to this um i would like to know uh, because I've seen certain entities mm -hmm. that could be described as angelic, and I've also seen uh, as something that could be described as demonic. And um, it, it took me off guard because when I, w I was in med school, and when I started, and I, I, it's not like I see things all the time. It's occasion, weird things where I actually think that's in my head. Um, but I, I've come to realize that maybe it's not. Um, what is uh, 
the difference energetically, vibrationally uh, between like, is do it first, do demons exist? What are they? Because we're talking about all these high vibrational beings. And then I, I've seen experiences with people that are in low vibrational frequencies that interact with the other side. I know it's not worth speaking too much about because we want to get to the other, to the higher vibrational frequency, but just as an understanding, as a basis for this, what do you understand and know about the lower vibrational realm? So, I'll tell you a practical experience because nothing I know, I didn't learn it from anyone. I didn't go to school for it. I, I didn't study with a shaman. Um, uh, I downloaded information every so often and, and developed this. Uh, the consistently... Dr. Resnick has been in my life to kind of be a physical material guide to get me back to alignment. Otherwise, everything that I've encountered and that I speak about is from my experience and what I've seen. I lived in Taos, New Mexico, and I encountered a, a gentleman by the name of Howard Badhand. Howard is the chief of the Lakota tribe. He's a former Harvard professor of Native American studies. I did 27 sweat lodges with him. He would invite me to heal people in his sweat lodges. He's, his, he's an invocator. He's also a medium, but he invokes spirit, which is against everything I believe. But um, what I found to be true about that other side, I discovered through his sweat lodges. One of my experiences, one of the first experiences I had in the sweat lodge was his helper brought his niece, who was on suicide watch. She was on suicide watch, severely depressed for at least seven years. She was a young, young girl, 20, probably 24, 25 years old. Um, and I don't know if you've ever done a sweat watch. It's completely dark. It's extremely hot. Uh, you can't sleep. You can't do any. I, I thought my skin was going to peel off. I mean, it, was, it was 24 rocks. I don't know if you know what that means. And so um, when they brought her in, uh, Howard asked me to participate in healing her. So in the process, this is my second sweat lodge. I'm dying from the heat. So I, I lay down to avoid the rising heat and the door is closed. And he starts chanting and doing his thing. And all of a sudden, I see an entity that had, looks like the girl with jagged teeth and it's foaming at the mouth and it starts scowling at me and, and me only. So I begin to push it out of the sweat with energy and I start praying and pushing it out and speaking to God and so on. I didn't get scared or panicked, but I understood that it had to do with the girl. What I realized is that it's not a demon. When you spend so much time being depressed, a layer of your energy takes form of your depression. That's what that was. She wasn't possessed. She wasn't um, overtaken by anything. Literally, a layer of our energy. This is why if you're learning morphology with Dr. Resnick, the external image takes form it reforms itself. So then
I, I couldn't hear you. Uh, I think you muted yourself. I don't know if it's on my end, uh, but you. I just lost the audio as well. Yeah, I, I think you accidentally muted yourself, Vlad. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. I can hear you fine. There you just go. accidentally muted yourself. Would you mind repeating? Uh -huh. uh, you, you're speaking about morphology with Peter uh, Resnick, like the, the exterior uh, changes. So the, <laughs> the exterior face is an expression of the internal world. In other words, the your soul the soul's intention is expressed in your features. And that's what I encountered in the sweat. It was the the layer of energy of her. So you, know, you ever watch Tom and Jerry when Jerry um, Jerry uh, crashes into a wall and nine spirits literally crash as he's crashing into the wall, they come behind him and crash into him. Well, it, that's what it looked like. It looked like a, a version of her that was depressed, um, deranged, uh, not in light, completely, um, not evil, but definitely a lower vibration entity with jagged teeth and just really a deformed version of her. So what I gathered from my experience is that prayer and direction of energy raised her vibration and that layer separated itself. And as soon as I started pushing it out the out of the sweat, the heat made her vulnerable, plus high vibration souls that were in Howard's extremely high vibration for her understanding, plus me, plus Pedro, her uncle. And then all of a sudden, when the entity left, Someone said to all my relations, meaning open the door for some air. She was knocked out on the floor snoring. She's since married with two children and lives a fantastic life. So wow. does it exist? It exists in our belief system. It exists if you live on that level and if you continue to be uh, consumed by your human experience a layer of your soul literally forms itself in, in takes shape and expresses itself through your features and your, your, your physiognomy, I guess. Okay. You're living. That that's incredible. Maddie, follow up questions or should I? Carry it away. Alex. <laughs> I don't really have many follow up questions to that. that awesome. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I love sweat lodges myself and, and, and many masters when you're asked about sweat lodges, like, do they, are they work? Are they efficient? Uh, I've heard them say, depends. It's just on a sweat lodge, sweat lodge. When you just force a catharsis, uh, this emotional, you know, shaking and changing and releasing of, of emotion, then no, it doesn't serve anything because the catharsis itself doesn't serve for much except releasing stored emotion, right? But when you use it as a vehicle, for connecting to divine energy, for remembering that that that's all that is. When you enter, when you use it for entering uh, concentration and, and prayer, all these rituals, uh, they do take on a, a meaning. But most people don't guide them that way to just remember that you are part of source, part of God, or whatever, and then you do have a direct connection to that. So um, my, uh, one of my questions would be, you know, um, ayahuasca, peyote, all these. Uh, because uh, you, if you did sweat lodges, you probably are aware or, or have done some of these uh, medicines. 
Native American people, obviously, they don't really have a separate word for magic or energy in medicine. It's all medicine. That's why they use that term, right? So these, all, this medicine uh, of ayahuasca, peyote, of uh, mushrooms, uh, when it's used in a ceremony format and when it's not, what are you, what's your opinion on that, on people taking that? Because I've seen it do some amazing, amazing things for people. Uh, how do you believe that works? And how do you recommend them? So um, I did sweat lodges with a number of medicine men who were proven and I, I observed them as medicine men uh, on the Tiwa Pueblo with the Lakota tradition and the Apache. Um, I found uh, I never did peyote or ayahuasca while doing um, sweat lodges. I tried ayahuasca here in Florida. It was a complete waste of time uh, because to me laying on my back for eight hours and seeing energy blobs, I can do that standing on my head with my finger in my ear. So it doesn't mean anything. Moreover, I think it's substance abuse because you don't need to take medicine or poison frog poison or tree bark to reach godliness that's number one number two is during your process of of tripping on ayahuasca or mushrooms or whatever hallucinogens you are exposing yourself to a reality that you have not earned through emotional and intellectual spiritual work so when you expose yourself to something that you haven't earned you can become depressed when you land back in the human experience and you have no no guidance, no, no sounding board, no one to ask on how to continue what it is that you've been exposed to if you have been exposed. Now, on the other hand, I've seen completely physical material people who have no clue about consciousness or spirituality do ayahuasca or I don't know what it's called, the frog poison. Uh, I don't. Oh, I think Bufo is one of them. Uh, yeah. Peruvian. Yeah. So I've seen people do it, and they got exposed to a little blob of energy, or they saw they saw their granny, and all of a sudden they became spiritual and open to the possibility of growing. So I can't poo-poo it completely. I can say, look, this is my methodology. When I choose to do something that may or may not give me emotional, intellectual, spiritual growth, I always look at the people that are offering it to me. I look at how they're living. I look at their women. And I look at to see if they're abundant, meaning when you are connected to the flow, whether it's important to you or not, whether abundance is important or not, when you are spiritually connected, you have what you need. Are you with me? Hello? I think Alex may have frozen. Looks like yeah. his video froze. Alex, come back, Alex. <laughs> come. Whether he's on his phone or computer, he'll probably hop on. Alex, come back to the line. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Maddie, folks, him back. Get him back. <laughs> Let me go ahead and shoot him a message. He's probably trying to connect. Let's see. 
That is definitely a very intriguing perspective, though, regarding um, plant medicine. It definitely reminds me of something an old teacher once told me when I was first beginning my spiritual journey and delving into like different practices and uh, stuff like that. He told me, you don't need psychedelics. You don't need a guru. You don't need a spirit guide. All you need is a connection with source. All you need is an intimate relationship with God. And that will give you everything you need. And that really so the, only, <laughs> the, the thing I disagree with with what you just said mm-hmm. is you need a um, a guide mm-hmm. in terms of physical sounding board where you can if you're realized you understand reality but you can also lose your mind trying to become realized or spiritual unless you have uh, someone that understands consciousness in a clear way. And most likely they're going through their process, just like we all are. So they're God willing, they're further ahead in their understanding and they have a structured devotional life through which they sustain their spirituality and their vibration, and they can be your sounding board. So when you say gurus, you know, there are self-proclaimed gurus, and then there's some real people out there that are um, that can give you practical understanding as long as it's always empowering you and helping you become self-sufficient and not dependent on them yes they're just the almost the catalyst but the facilitator of your healing and your your journey for sure dr alex are you back yes i am back when god said uh, are connected to the flow, the electricity in my house went out and it just came back right now. So that is, I don't think that's, that's a, a coincidence by any means. I think it was like a, Hey, get connected to the flow kind of moment. Um, and I actually did want to uh, speak about uh, gurus and masters and, and their experience and influence in your life, because I have seen uh, that the energy, or I have felt firsthand that the energy of being around someone who's much more evolved or along um, further along the path, their energy, their, their congruence, their, their way of acting, of being, uh, I think we learn a lot through osmosis or, or through this example. So I, I, I would like to know your take on is, you know, having uh, uh, this big brother, this guru or whatever necessary and how it interacts and how it works, Mr. Blad. It's the biggest issue with having gurus, uh, Alex and um, um, Maddie. The issue is that human beings are human beings and people do what they do. So if you came into my human experience and you saw my life, you'd say, oh, my God, how can this be? This guy lives like this? Oh my God, he's, I mean, he heals cancer, for God's sake. He can look at things. He can find oil wells. How come you couldn't find oil well for yourself? So what happens to many students is they, because they're human, they have a tendency to punch holes once they discover the humanity of their teacher. So that's why I stay so raw, practical, and real and openly share myself. I'm not an angel. And I only got here to where I am because I've fallen on my face so many times. So I keep things as they say back in the hood. I keep them real. So um, 
which means to me that I'm I don't I don't self-aggrandize. I didn't start, you know, until someone actually called me master. I never called myself master, master of disaster, maybe, but that's it. Uh, I never called myself a teacher until someone called me teacher. So learning by osmosis doesn't work. You can sleep in my class, but you're not going to learn anything. I tell my students, you can't learn this. You have to earn it. So becoming realized and, and having me as your teacher, should you choose that, uh, I keep things very real. And I openly share myself because I never want you to be deceived that I'm somehow better than you or I'm uh, not going through the suffering or I'm not going through the process. My process, can you hear me out? I can hear you perfectly fine. I just switched back from my phone to my laptop. Go ahead. So my process isn't any different, but the fact that I've paid the price and paid my dues makes me the teacher or the guide. Um, I don't believe in the big brother concept. Why? Because I'm either your teacher and, you, and we have a, that kind of, and student and we have that kind of relationship or not. I also don't believe in anything being free because the only free cheese is in a mousetrap. So when people offer free yoga, you run the other way. When people offer free advice, I also run the other way because there's nothing, nothing is free. And you have to be willing to pay the price. Meaning uh, when people avoid, all they do is constantly learn from books and jump from one guru or one teacher to another, which means they're in it's spiritual materialism. They're not willing to pay the price to go back into the human experience and encounter life's ups and downs and accept life for what it is. It, there are ups and downs. There is no undisturbed state in the human experience. You could sit in your sweat lodge till you're blue. You still have to live. How would you say that one goes about earning it? If uh, the, the analogy is, you know, you have to pay the price, you know. Um, mm -hmm. How, without but no 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 go for it how does one begin this process of going it. through the work you did it you did it i'm i'm not i'm not blowing smoke brother i'm, I'm telling you how it is you did it you know how you did it no <laughs> enlighten me <laughs> you you told you let me you allowed me to make a comment about your situation i don't want to expose you on air it's go for important. it uh, there there's no uh, but yeah mm -hmm. uh, yeah so you went, you looked at yourself, you went and made a correction, and look what happened. My so life then, got way better, yeah. So then that's the change. That's the earning. You earned it. You didn't just, oh, yeah, well, these concepts aren't for me because I'm busy being spiritual. No, you're not. You're sitting in a sweat lodge doing what you want to do. The other human being has a life too. They're, they have a life. You're responsible to them. You took that responsibility when you said, okay, yes, I want to. Yes, I do. You took that responsibility. And now you want to flounder and fly in the ethers while she's hanging out trying to, trying to make, her, make a life for you and for, all, for both of you. So you either get real with yourself, and you did. So that's the first step, bro. You earned it. The, 
when I was starting Freemasonry, there was a master who, uh, well, a master in the sense of, well, first I want, I want to clarify the, the big brother concept. It, it is a, a soul to soul kind of thing. You know, there are souls that have walked more of a path than us, right? Obviously in this incarnation, in this physical experience, there is a student teacher, master teacher concept. Uh, I completely understand that. But in the soul realm, there probably is this, big brother or younger brother kind of concept. That's my understanding. That's just clarifying that. But uh, this master, uh, he was kind of a drunk and uh, I didn't really look up to him much, but he gave me such uh, this beautiful piece of advice. He says, a friend that's willing to tell you your truth is worth 10,000 times more than a friend that's just going to agree with you and tell you your same story. And, and, and I think in this aspect, you, you're worth an infinite amount, man. Uh, you, I love the fact that, well, it's probably a predisposition with you because you do have a lot of Aries energy and <laughs> that's kind of what they do. Uh, but you are w willing to to tell people and be be rough with them. And something that in today uh, is very hard for people to tolerate. There is, or that does seem to be, uh, you know, the, the phrase, difficult times, make strong men, strong men make uh, good times, good times make weak men, weak men make bad times. And obviously this, this goes for men and women. It's just how the phrase goes. Uh, what do you believe, what do you observe is happening in our society different than in other times? Do you think there is a cycle of good times making weak people in general? Do you think people can't tolerate uh, their truths being said to them? by someone what what is your comment on society at this time um i think i think that the the new generation your generation and maddie's generation your parents were high frequency wires sensitive human beings that were not exposed to a technology properly that can sustain them in the human experience. So they turned their backs on their religions. They thought it was ludicrous that we were born into sin. They thought it was obnoxious that you have to bow down to some guy in a booth who wants to diddle you. Uh, you know, uh, um, they, that whole entire generation that went through, you know, the fallen out Catholics, the turnaround Christians, the born again, that whole scene, you know. So you have a bunch of true intellectual people that had children like you and Maddie, who are now, you know, uh, are, are terrified of re organized religion. They want to be wellness gurus. They want to be life coaches. But the truth is y'all are searching. So the search takes you on this kumbaya uh, potpourri of different disciplines, which really doesn't sustain your souls, but it, it, it teaches you a bunch of information that may or may not be practical in life. Because had the sweat lodges taught you something, you wouldn't be making the decision you were about to make un until we met. You understand? So the morality that I received and, and the, the, the backing and the support that I received from my practice came from what the Christian world calls the Old Testament or Jews. And the Torah is 
a technological manual for humanity. That's why 72% of the world practice the commandments. Muslims, Christians, born-again Protestants, Catholics, all practice the commandments that came from Moses. Why? Because it's he channeled it from the creative force. He downloaded and had two and a half million witnesses. So my take on humanity today is it's terrified of boundaries. Everyone wants to be a spiritual leader. Everybody, uh, for the most part, the ones I've encountered, I probably encountered maybe three or four people that are on a real path. Most of, uh, of the population that's your age, they're into a potpourri of drum circles, sweat lodges, crystal healing, bowl healing, uh, nut healing, name it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's everything. But nobody wants boundaries. And boundaries, there is freedom within boundaries, Alex. I had a dream once that, uh, I know it's slightly self-aggrandizing, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> I had a dream. Do you know who John of God was? Uh, yeah, the guy from Brazil that right. heals energetically, yeah. No, he doesn't heal energetically. I went to see him. I went, I, I was on container with an investment bank as a healer. And uh, uh, because I had such influential clients, the investment bank hired me to uh, introduce them, introduce my high net worth clients to environmentally conscious deals. I didn't pitch the deals. I simply made the uh, introduction and they paid me a, 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 a retainer. So in the process, they asked me, what would you like to do? What, how, how can we gift you? And I said, I want to go to Brazil and meet John. So he's nothing. He, he's not an energy healer. There's a very high frequency at the Casa because a lot of healing goes on. But there's 175 people constantly praying. And about a year ago, we just found out that he fondled 400 women and had sex with them and had them hold his penis and insinuated that they can reach God if they hold on to it. So he's no longer in practice. So what I discovered is uh, that, remind me of what, what our original question was. I went off on a tangent with John. <laughs> that, that, that's fine um i, I actually forgot my, the original question a, a, as well uh maddie do you happen to have some earth energy that can you know maybe ground us to that my yeah. libra my libra just got lost in that whole tangent uh my mind so, is just continuously being blown and blown and blown <laughs> <laughs> so i went on because i wanted to um are you there we, I am here. I can hear you. Perfectly. I will right. and explore John of God because I want to uh, encounter someone who's similar to me or who has similar abilities. I didn't find it. Um, I found it interesting. Oh, I remember yeah. it was about the generation, about what you think right. is, yeah. right. and, and you so, were giving boundaries, um, their freedom right. and boundaries. Right. I had a dream. So Jim John, I have this dream where I'm in Brazil and there's a, a, a pole in the ground and people are walking. Men are walking in circles, uh, not to exclude women. By the way, Sarah was a bigger prophetess than Abraham. 
so, so men are walking attached to this pole via a rope or, or a string. And I say to him in the dream, so John, what are they doing? Why are they walking in circles? And he said, there's freedom within boundaries. So, and you have a place there if you decide to take on boundaries. So the original conversation was about where's humanity and this generation? Why are they, um, what are they seeking? What I think about it. Everyone is afraid of religion. Why? Because their religion doesn't provide them with a sustainable way of living in the human experience. It's a bunch of stories and stories that they cannot relate to and that have not been made practical for this day and age. So uh, people have a tendency to um, take on uh, uh, vibrationally incorrect uh, spiritual traditions for themselves. That is awesome. Would, do you have time for one last question, maybe from me and then one from Maddie, so we can close? Absolutely. Uh, Maddie, do you want to go ahead? Or Something that I am extremely fascinated in is your personal relationship with, with source energy, with God. Can you tell us a little bit how that has impacted your healing practice and your journey? Uh, you know, my personal relationship didn't start until 2006. Um, when I got discovered by Tom Laurel and lived in New Mexico, my office represented my belief system, meaning where I was in my life back then was I was uh, intellectually and emotionally delusional. I was 32 years old. I had all these magical abilities and people were throwing money at me to heal them and look at them and, and do God knows what. And here I was in Taos, New Mexico, Native American, uh, white trust fund babies, you know, uh, everybody stoned. Uh, my office was, you know, a 3,500 square foot museum. Tom, this gentleman that supported my work, had Santeria statues, Hindu statues, Buddhist statues, African tables made from by hand. He subscribed to everything. And while I was there, uh, basically, I didn't, I, I pride myself on the fact that I was Jewish when I came from the former Soviet Union, but I didn't know very much about it. And I had a separation with my community because of some comments someone made and I kind of went astray. So in 2005, when I, I went to a, um, a conscious billionaires meeting, if there's such a thing. And, um, there were 12 guys and one of them, all of them used their own money to clean up the environment. And the guy, there was one guy who, who used this, was a, a oil billionaire. He, he cleaned up uranium spills with his, with his personal fund. He funded the operations. Uh, all of these guys were really good people. And so um, one of them said to me, you're Jewish and you don't observe? I said, listen, man, I'm that guy you read about. You know, I can see forward, I can see back, I can heal cancer. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in observance. And I had a bad experience. I'm not really into it. So he said, look, I'm going to introduce you to something that you've already tried 
it's a ritual that Jewish men do. It's going to take your power through the ceiling. I mean, to another dimension, if you decide on it. And he gave me a gift, which is, um, it's called tefillin. It's what men wrap in the morning. Jewish men, when they pray, they wrap it in the morning. It's to remind them while they're praying that they're in their hearts and their minds and in alignment to the creator. When I started doing it, I started doing it because he was so convincing. And they actually invited me to San Diego to come and work there and look for oil wells. And they would support my practice. So they basically invited me to look at maps and use my abilities to look for oil. And they would support my practice. So I said, wow, all right, I'll try it. So I uh, went back to New Mexico and started putting on to fill in. And all of a sudden, I got a call from the CEO of Tom's Resort that said, Tom's selling the resort and we're moving on, which meant that as soon as I found my vibrationally correct sustaining system, I severed my connection. It severed itself from me. My support system severed me from the potpourri of different disciplines, which I had no, where I was when I had no allegiance to anything. This is what realized thinking provides for you. So you can look at your process. You understand? So to answer your question, I realigned myself in 2006 and my abilities went even a notch higher. And that's what defines my relationship is that I'm a Jewish man. Thank you for answering that question. Um, I, I would just, so we don't take up too much on your time because I, I could literally sit here all day. Um, I, I do have one last question that I would um, like for you to kind of, um, for our listeners and for ourselves, give us some clarity on. Um, there, There is... Um, a branch of spirituality or uh, like Osho, you know, where he was actually combining some of, uh, you know, Freud and them's kind of uh, ideas that, you know, sex is not bad. There is this primal kind of, it, if just to remind our listeners, it is kind of the animal urge, this animal we have inside us that wants instant gratification and shies away from pain and wants to stay in bed. The superego is like all these like morals and, and, and um, codes and, and disciplines and all these l- rules that you abide by. Uh, and the ego is kind of the guy in the middle kind of making the choice who to listen to. Um, there is this, this uh, current of thinking within spirituality that, you know, this animal inside us, you know, it's not bad. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. And we should find uh, ways to, to liberate kind of the sexual urge and the, the, the kind of like you do Muay Thai, the, the, the aggressive urge and in integrating, right. In, in integrating and finding a, a way to release this uh, and without shame, because I know shame is, is a very big limiting factor in, in an individual's life. Um, there does seem to be this catharsis is growing pr- process in this integration. Um, where traditional uh, religion does seem to chastise the sexuality, the, the, the animal urge part of us and label it as bad. And that it, you know, I think Ram Dass said that, uh, or I don't, I don't remember what the spiritual teacher said, that thanks to people chastising sexuality, it made it that much funner. Um, I think it was Alan Watts, yeah. 
Um, so we have to thank our forefathers for making sexuality uh, forbidden because it, it, it made it fun, you know? So Wait, well, what... Huh? Well, you're, giving, you, you're giving me a lot to answer. I'm sorry. really... Uh, time. I want to tell you, you know, I cleared my schedule till two o'clock. So if, if you want to hang out, we're, we're fine. So my let me answer something for you. Uh, I really like OSHA's whole thing, you know, his cards, his whole answers. He's a fully realized guy. He's proved it by having all his Rolls Royces and all his, you know, you know, all his mansions. He's a fully realized guy, or at least he was. Um, so what I, what you always have to ask yourself where your teacher or your guru or your sounding board gets their morality from and what is the source of their morality. Meaning, you say your religion, Alex, your religion chastises for sex. Mine does not. That's why rabbis and Jewish people have up to nine children. As long as sexuality is not for the sake of a good feeling, good feelings are permissible. Women can actually go to rabbinical court and file for divorce if their husband is not satisfying them. So I don't know what religion you're talking about, but my religion praises sexuality. And through marriage, when there's a soulful uh, coming together of two souls. It, in fact, inspires sexuality. You, you with me? Yeah, you're good. You just shut your video off for a second, but audio was always on. Go for it. It inspires sexuality as long as it has boundaries. So, you know, the sexual revolution that everything is okay whenever, however, whatever. It's not okay because when it becomes okay, whenever, whatever, you we develop a um, a distorted view of it. You become um, jaded by it. You become bored of it. That's why this there's a sixty percent divorce rate because there is no spiritual common denominator. People are not living together as energy. They, li they live together as physical, material beings. So, for instance, in Judaism, there's a, a prohibition having sexual or physical relations with your wife when she's on her cycle. Why? Because it's a sacred time for the woman. She's shedding. It's the only species in existence in our physical uh, uh, existence that can shed its tainted or toxic blood she needs to be allowed to go where her vibration slightly lowered she's more physical material and not so uh plugged into the to the spiritual realm she should be left alone and be allowed to go through that process without being uh tempered with or 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 uh, disturbed uh the reason they live longer is because they're able to discard tainted blood because they're a higher vibration to begin with. You understand? So having relations during that time lowers the male's vibration because it's a vibrational science. So your religion tells you that sex is a sin. Mine does not. So when you say that, that's why I said, when you ask me, where's humanity going? This is what, this is the problem. People have disturbed twisted, misinterpreted what was given by Moses 
given to Moses by the creative force, and it's not interpreted properly to be used in a practical reality. So Christianity, Islam, uh, you know, if you if you want to look at a religion and see if it's working, look at its women. If the women are happy, the Torah says, happy wife, happy life. So there's your, I hope that answers your, your question. <laughs> it partially answers it as far as sexuality goes, but as far as, you know, like this animal instinct of also uh, uh, aggression, because we are uh, kind of in this animal suit, right? It, it is uh, the human body is, although it's more conscious that, than an animal, it does have an animal part to it. What uh, and we huh? Who's an animal? What animal are you? Uh, a human. No, no. Uh, uh, choose any animal. Pick one. What animal? Lion. What lion? Are you a good lion or a bad lion? Most of the time, a good lion, but sometimes a bad lion. I guess you know. You know what you are. What the one you feed. Mm. That's it. Okay. So essentially, yeah, I, uh, I think I, I've, it's a very good way to to understand that. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Um, I think this is a perfect, perfect time um, to close. Uh, I do have one more question, if that's possible. Again, I know you say we can hang out on too. Uh, I, I just don't want to make the podcast too long because sometimes that'll make keep people from listening to it. Um, there are there does seem to be, and this is a question about just men uh, more so that, than than women. Uh, even though I think both sexes do have a maturing process uh, that is prolonged in, in this uh, in this time. You know, we used to have much rougher times a hundred to hundred years ago, where men and women had to mature quite quickly. And in this, uh, in these times that are much easier, this maturing process does seem to take longer. And people don't like to do the difficult thing, the rough thing. And I, I include myself, and I appreciate your, your advice when we talked earlier. Um, so um, specifically, I, I've seen uh, men in my client with my clients because I, I see like. 80% women. Uh, but I, I've seen the the men that have this rougher time maturing. Um, and th- it's easier for them to isolate and just, you know, say, I, I don't need all that. Why do you believe that is that in general, both sexes have a difficult time maturing, but specifically, it's more difficult to find men that have matured and are able to do the difficult, tough things? Or do you think mm-hmm. it's just my illusion? No, no, I think, uh, we as men are delusional because we live in our crotch and women live in their hearts. They live in their feelings. So they're automatically a higher vibration than we are. They're, we just are strength and we make decisions faster and more concrete. Uh, so um, I would say if we can enter their world a little bit and raise our vibration from our underwear into our hearts, then we, it wouldn't be so hard to make what you call those decisions. And in fact, 
young men, and I was one of those men, are delusional. When you're married, you're consistently in a relationship that sustains you. When you can surrender into your wife's love, you can achieve much greater and be more successful because the hunt distracts you. When you live in your crotch, you are on the hunt constantly. And so you're divided between what you think is your intellect and the desire that comes from your pants. So then you're not focused, you're not achieving, you're just distracted by your desires and you're not complete. When you encounter another human being who lives in their feelings, who's organized, who's deep, who has a common denominator as you, uh, the same denominator as you, meaning she has uh, the same perception of reality is not going to sabotage your dreams and uh, your, uh, she's going to make you practical. And so if you surrender and trust that she's not a conspiratory person, that she's kind and she wants to um, live a productive life and is, and is not constantly, as they say in New York, putting shit in the game, then you can surrender into her love and you can achieve tremendously. The men that say they're more effective when they're single are full of shit. It's a lie. This guy that has uh, Instagram, you know, um, he's uh, he lives with 16 girls and he's smoking weed all the time and pumping his muscles. He's a, uh, he failed the Navy SEAL. I forget his name. I, uh, I don't know, he's, he's all over. Sargarians, Arbarians, something like that. All his businesses are failing. He's falling apart. Any guy that's ever thought that he can make it, you know, you know who's a great testament. It's going to strike you as funny. You know who's a great testament to marriage success? Snoop Dogg. Okay. He talks about his wife all the time. She bosses him around, but he's successful because he's married. Yeah, but also he, he does, oh, at least in his earlier songs, he, he does say that, you know, there, there's a woman. For, you know, huh? Alex, please. Uh, no. yeah. they, they don't do anything they write about. They're all full. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, okay. Tell you, uh, 90% of what they talk about in their songs, they've never done. Uh, 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 thank you. Um, in this journey, though, between men and women and in their uh, journey together, there does seem to be such difficulty in one, you know, men are from, from Mars and women are from, uh, from Venus, you know, the, the, the book about it. There does seem to be a different structure in how we think uh, even testosterone will affect the brain differently, estrogen will. There are scientific bases for, for differences between the men and women that make this coexisting, this relationship kind of... Uh, uh, difficult to, to understand the other person. Uh, do you think that's the main cause of difficulties within relationships and marriage? Or do you think there's another factor that's much stronger? The main factor, Alex, is people choose each other based on the music they listen to, based on the fact that they come from the same town, or based on the fact that they might have had a one sexual experience for, for longer than 12 minutes. So then now they think they're together and they're meant to be together. The issue, the main issue is that people, when they come together, they have to have a common denominator, meaning uh, there's a wonderful commandment uh, that says, 
thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you know what that means? Uh, normally it's taken like you won't cheat on your, your spouse. No, it doesn't mean that. Okay. It means not to betray yourself. Mm-hmm. So if I encounter, betrayal starts with oneself. So if I encounter a young woman who doesn't subscribe to my belief system, to my understanding of godliness, I don't have a boss. My income comes as a result of a blessing. I, I work, nobody gives me a check, and I support four kids. So constantly I have people to heal, people to advise, people that come, people that call 23 years with no boss, no paycheck, constantly supporting myself. I live in great places, drive a decent car, uh, always have a life, exposed to wonderful people, smart, intelligent inventors, and so on. Why? So I cannot encounter a young woman who doesn't live in my belief system. Not my kumbaya, uh, you know, potpourri of, uh, of spiritual disciplines and meditations, but literally that shares my ritual in my, in my uh, devotion to the creative force. Because if she doesn't share that, she's going to constantly conspire against me and try to pull me down because she's waiting for support. Ultimately, security is very important in a marriage and sustainability meaning to be able to provide so that you can have some freedom to live, right? Bottom line, we all have bills to pay, right? So then if, you, if you're constantly in conflict with your spouse because she's, she doesn't trust in your dreams and your, your endeavors, then she's conspiring against you and you're living in betrayal. You have betrayed yourself by taking on a, a significant other that doesn't share the same belief system as you. Not because you want to do sweat lodges, but because your common denominator is not your ritual life of devotion to that which sustains you. When it's common and it's the same, it sustains both of you and you can surrender into the peace of her heart and her enormous energy and you can be successful. If you're constantly colliding and you want to do sweat lodges and she wants to go to church and pray to Jesus, then you're... you're your, your understanding of the conscious experience is completely different. Yes, we're both all souls, but we're not all the same. That's a delusion. We're not the same. If we were the same, then 1.9 billion Muslims wouldn't want to destroy Israel. Then Christians wouldn't convert Muslims into Christianity. Then Catholics wouldn't have killed 20 million Mexicans and 20 million Vietnamese. We're not the same. Our conception, our concept of the conscious experience and our perception is what creates our circumstances. If we were the same, there'd be world peace, but there isn't. Thank you, sir. Um, any last words to, uh, to say goodbye? Um, thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it. Any, anything I'd to love say to- with? Yeah. Um, stay the course. And remember that spirituality is not a bleep. You can't take some poison and get exposed to God. You don't need poison. You don't need substances. You don't need anything. You need self-refinement and understanding of yourself first before you start giving other people advice. And once you start giving advice, remember to keep yourself out of the equation 
and not to infuse your conspiracies into what you're telling other people, as long as the source of your advice is complete and concrete. Spirituality is earned, not learned. Thank you, sir. Maddie, um, well, I, this has been Esoteric Sai. I'm Dr. Alex Aldana, um, hypnotherapist, phenomenologist, and uh, astrologer. I attempt to do uh, spirituality, but um, I, I am a soul, and I think Vladimir has just shaken everything we know understand to our core. So I can't really say too much. Uh, Maddie, can you? Oh, um, yeah, Vlad, do you have any social media you want to uh, promote, Pop? Or how, how, how do people contact you if they want a session, if they want something? It's, uh, my Instagram, Vladimir Ankert, V A. And I think I have a website, but I'm not sure. We can definitely <laughs> link everything on the show notes so that people, while that when they listen, they can see it all linked below. Appreciate you having me, first of all, and I really appreciate the fact that you guys at your age are exploring and have an audience. And it's a fantastic. I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, well, I'm, really uh, I'm 32. I just don't have any. I shaved off all my gray hair, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maddie, please t- take us away um, with any, uh, you know, just the goodbye and uh, any social media you want to promote and go for it. I- I'm-, I'm without words right now. <laughs> yes, this has all been very ineffable, um, but thank you so much. It has been a great blessing to have you here with us, Vladimir. Um, I hope everyone has a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for being here with us and we will see you next time. This has been Esoteric Science. Thank you for having me. Thank you.